Let me talk to you about uh, a, a teaching that I've done before. I did it, and I think it was about nine years ago. I, I did this uh, teaching on what is faith. A.W. Tozer wrote a classical book. He wrote Pursuit of God. The book that he wrote was taken from some sermons he did in his lifetime. And it is, a, it is what I call one of them life-changing books. It really is a, can, can be a life-changing book. I have given that book to, like a gospel track, to many uh, 20-year-old, 20-somethings, you know, 20-somethings. that are 20-somethings are making a decision on which way they want to go. And uh, that is a great book to read before you make any big decisions about your life. You want to read The Pursuit of God. The first chapter is about making God number one. And boy, he does a great compilation of work on that, making God number one. That's not the title of that chapter, but take your Bibles, if you would, tonight to go John chapter 3, verse 14, 15. If you're not a Bible student, this would be a strange, strange verse that Jesus says, but by the end of 30 minutes from now, by the grace of God, uh, if you're not familiar with it, you will be familiar with verse 14 and what he meant by that. Uh, the, the title of A.W. Tozer in the chapter he works with this verse, he says, faith, he tries to define faith as the gaze of the soul on God. I didn't like that. The gaze of the soul on God. What is faith? It is the gaze of the soul on God. That's what he said. John 3.14 says, and it's, and it's Jesus' words, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, Putting him up as, he's putting it up as a comparison. Must the Son of Man be lifted up? And whosoever believeth on in him, sometimes on him, sometimes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 also says something similar. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured Gethsemane. This is an end of verse. He endured Gethsemane. Basically, says he endured the cross, all that went with it. Despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where he's at right now, making intercession for us. The word looking there means a looking away, looking away from this world, looking away from the flesh. And if I may say this, looking away from yourself. Looking away from yourself. Looking unto Jesus, looking away unto Jesus, away from the world, away from the flesh, and away from yourself. Keep your eyes focused on something away from you. And so, because when we, when we introspect, when we get our eyes on ourselves, and you know this to be true, when you begin to contemplate your situation too much, you're going to start wanting to get bitter at people. First of all, you may get bitter at God for having a, giving, not giving you a break, not dealing you a, a good hand. You know, poker players like that statement. I didn't get dealt a good hand in life. Uh, uh, you'll, start, you'll start feeling depressed. Depression sp spawns itself out of self-pity. And uh, that'll happen. And, and many other things will happen by looking inward. Uh, God's instruction to us is not to look inward so much, but to look outward. Keep your eyes focused 
I mean, lift up your eyes. Jesus said the fields are white in the harvest. Lift, lift up your eyes. Keep them off of this world and the problems of this world. Look away under Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's a, that's a tremendous truth. So the title for this message and many of the thoughts behind it are really picked up from A.W. Tozer. Many of them are also mine. I like reading books on thinkers, book of philosophers, and contemplating people, meditating people, analyzing people. It helps me, helps me to know some of the things of God. Many, many people before us have understood, or sought to at least understand, the definition of faith and belief. What is faith and what is belief? Well, I know this, without faith, there cannot be any approach to God. This is where your unbeliever stumbles. They, they want sight, and God says, you've got to come to me by faith. I want to feel it, and God says, you've got to come to me by faith. I want to see it, and God says, you've got to come to me by faith. And you know that to be true. You know the Bible, these memory verses these guys are doing. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 1 verse 3 you did, but Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6, without faith impossible to please God. So you can't come to God without faith. You have to have it. You can't approach him. You need faith for personal repentance, forgiveness, deliverance, salvation. Hebrews 1, uh, 11, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God, that's you or me, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you don't come by faith, uh, you're, you're not going to, if, if you don't, you can't come to God in, in person. He, God, they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So you come to him with your spirit in faith, believing that he's true and what he says is true. It is impossible to communicate with God without faith, without belief. Our first prayer, our first prayer to God that he hears is a prayer of faith to be saved. The Bible's clear on that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Uh, the repentant prayer seems to be in the Bible the, verse, the first prayer that God actually hears from an unsaved person. You gain his attention and his access by calling in faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. And God says, ooh, yeah, yes. That, that's, that activates the moving of the, a lot of things happen, you know. Uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, justification, all of that begins to happen uh, at, at that moment of faith upon him. It's impossible to communicate to him without faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know the verse, Romans 10, 17. It's one of those memory verses those men are doing. Faith is the fuel. Faith is the, it is the fuel, and faith is the fire. The Word of God is the very few. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is like gasoline. It's combustible. You, it's hard for me to believe how much power is in one gallon of gasoline. But you put it in your vehicle, and because of the motor and things, you press it, and you can go, some of you can go up to 10 miles on one gallon. Uh, Jeff Larson and them are out in their RVs, in that big old RV traveling around the country. And this is the kind of person I am. He said he went 300 miles. I sat down and figured out six miles a gallon, $2.50 a gallon, 
He spent, he spent 125 bucks to go a lousy 300 miles. Why don't you just rent a nice motel? And just and you don't have to have the liability of the motor home. You don't have to have like you don't have to have the repair of the motor home. You don't have to have any of it. You can just you can just free as a bird. You can just and then you can take your choice. I'd rather stay here. No, I'd rather stay here. I stay here. You got all kinds of charges. And somebody else cleans up after you. Now for motorhome people, I just I just spoke anathema. Because they're going to give you all the reasons why they love it, and I'm good with it. I don't care either way. But uh, all I can see a motorhome is a big black hole. But I've been uh, talking to Jeff about it. How, how are you enjoying your vacation? Well, my motorhome broke down. I had to put a serpentine belt on. I had to put a new new alternator on. I had to, I, oh, the generator quit working, which meant the air conditioning quit. It's 95 in Bismarck, North Dakota today. So don't think it's just hot here. It was 95 here today. And it was 95 in Bismarck, North Dakota. You say, oh, it's not as hot up there. You haven't been there, evidently. I've been out with, I've been out with Ernie, and the hottest I ever have felt a temperature has been with Ernie Leonard fishing with him in Bismarck, North Dakota. I thought I was literally, Kathy was with me. I literally said, I'm not, I'm being overcome with heat. I've never said that in Florida. I laid carpet for years in Florida, outside all day long, all summer long, and never got overcome with heat. But when I was up there fishing with him, it was so hot. The sun is either closer to you. I don't know what's going on up there in north, but I can tell you it's light all day. It's light almost all the time. They don't have a bunch of much. It cooks your mind, cooks your brain. I'm pretty soon I'm taking water, splashing on my head. I didn't even care what my hair looked like. I really enjoyed putting water on my wife's head. But anyway, the Word of God pours itself over faith. Faith is the match. What is faith? It's the match that ignites the power of God. You don't know how much power there is in one gallon of gas. You couldn't imagine how much power there is. And you can't imagine the power of the Word of God. But when you put faith and couple it with the Word of God, you set, you set a firestorm of power off in your life. Believe the Word of God. Put your faith in the Word of God. And you will see the power, eventually you will see the power of the Bible. It's amazing and miraculous how much power there is. Jesus in our, in our text, verse, where he said, I'll be lifted up as Moses lifted up the servant, the serpent in the wilderness. I want to give you the context of that. So let's go back to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, and verse 4 through 9. Let me read that real quickly to give you a contextual understanding of as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must Son of Man be lifted up. And it says in, in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, starting there, And they journeyed from Mount Hor to the way of the Red Sea and compassed the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore, you brought, wherefore have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Reminds me of some of these spoiled brats called protesters. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, our soul loatheth this light bread. You realize what they just said? They said, the provisions that you're giving us, God, stink. And we loathe this angel's food. 
Angels were crisp, Krispy Kreme. We loathe this Krispy Kreme where we're getting out every morning. We hate it. We want the leech. We want the uh, onions and the garlics and the leeks or their leeches or leeches. I don't know what that is. I'm not I'm, uh, of Egypt. The spices. We want to eat some food like we ate in Egypt. You realize the insult level that was at God. God had provided them the whole everything they needed. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. He, he put them across the Red Sea on dry land. I mean, just on and on and on. Here God brings them. And these are a bunch of gripers and complainers. If I want to call, I'll call them spoiled brats. They've had everything they've ever wanted provided for them, and they want more, and they, they, they aren't going to happen. They want to go, I want to go back to Egypt. What were you in Egypt? They owned your body. You were a slave in Egypt. They owned your body. No sense at all going back to Egypt. Well, we'd rather be back to Egypt. That's where they were. And the Lord sent snakes. Snakes. Some of you don't like snakes. They must not have either. He sent fiery serpents, evidently red-ish looking snakes among them. They were, they were venomous, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses, the ones that were left alive, that is, and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. That was 1,400 years before John chapter 3, verse 14. 1,400 years, approximately. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent or a replica of the snake and set it upon a pole. I believe medicine for their symbol has a snake on a pole. I believe that's a medical symbol. I believe that goes all the way back to this. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he does what? Look at that. Looketh. Looketh. Upon it shall live. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to handle it. He just needs to look on it. Can everybody do that? Isn't God wonderful? God could have made it a lot harder, couldn't he? But wasn't that pretty easy? He said, I'm going to set this pole up with a, with a, with a metal or whatever serpent on it, and you just got to look at it. If you got the faith enough to come and just to look in faith that this thing is going to help you. This, this symbol, he says, you'll be healed. Jesus says, as he put that pole up with that fiery servant and they looked in faith, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God has not made getting saved hard. He's not made it where you got to do penance. He's not made it where you have to give so much money or memorize so many verses or uh, read your Bible so many times or walk, crawl on your belly like a lizard. He, he could have made it that you did uh, a trek to Mecca, you know, on your knees like, like the Muslims do. If you'll notice, he's made it easy. He's made it simple. 
He's made it where everybody can comply if they want to. When Moses made a servant of brass, put it on a pole, it came to pass that a servant had bitten any man. When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. The serpent was placed in the sight of all the people. Everyone bitten by a serpent could come and just look and live. And I think we got a song. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. That's where it comes from, right here. It's recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. you got to look in faith. It's the look of the gaze of the soul upon God. And say, Lord, I need you. And that's a song too. Lord, I need you. I said, this goes, this, where do we get our songs? We get them from the Bible. Saturated in the Bible. So Jesus, in John 3.14, defines the word believe as a look of faith. It is done with the eyes, yes, but it's motivated. The eyes are controlled by what? The eyes are controlled by your heart and by your will. So though it is a looking with your eyes, they are controlled by your will and your heart. Tozer says in the book there, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Faith is a look that lasts a lifetime. An intention of the will to seek salvation from Jesus Christ. So God responds with our initial look. He comes up alongside of us, and the Bible says he seals us with the, to, under the day of redemption with the Holy Ghost. So all we do is we look upon Jesus in faith. We know we need him. You don't look if you don't need him. You don't look if you haven't been bitten by sin. If you don't, if you're not, if you don't think you're dying, you don't look. That's why you got to tell somebody about their sin before you talk about the Savior. If they don't feel like they have a need, they're not going to look. They may look at him, but they're going to look at him with disdain. They'll look at him with doubt. They'll look at him with, with disgruntlement. They won't look at Jesus like, I need to be saved. Lord, save me and look up to the Lord Jesus, which has been lifted up on that old rugged cross. And you look in salvation. So God responds. He comes up beside us and begins a good work in us. Philippians 1.6, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. It is God that works in you both to will and do his good pleasure. When I looked at him in faith, he'd come up beside me, and he, and he began to help me, and he's been with me and will never leave me nor forsake me from that moment on. He healed me. He healed me, just like those people bitten by that serpent. Have we not been bitten by the serpent? <clears throat> we talk like the devil. We act like the devil. We're wicked like the devil. And we've been bitten, and we're dying. And he says, look, look under the cross. Look unto me. Look unto Jesus. Look away under Jesus in simple childlike faith, and you can be saved. And when you do that, you meet my conditions. I come up beside you. I'll seal you, fill you with the Holy Spirit, give you the Bible as a guide, and help you, and never leave you, nor forsake you, be with you. What a wonderful life it is to be saved. Amen. Man, now that's where you say, where's that at? Ephesians 4.30 says, you're sealed in the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.13 says, in whom you also trusted also after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that after you believed, you looked, you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. So it's in the Bible. 
That's biblical truth. So looking away under Jesus, Hebrews 12.2, is uh, an emphasis, and I said it before, looking away from yourself. People are so caught up with themselves. We're so caught up with me, myself, and I, my favorite three friends. Me, myself, and I. Uh, it's awful. But we're supposed to be beholding the Lamb of God, like John the Baptist said when he saw him on the shore of the Jordan. Behold the Lamb of God, taketh away the sin of the world. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The disciples didn't just see Jesus, they looked on him for who he was. Because once you see Jesus, it will forever change you as you gaze upon him with faith. I think of the redbirds sometimes uh, at my house. I like redbirds. You like redbirds? They're state birds some places. I don't know what the state bird of Florida is. I really don't. But redbirds are a state bird of some state. Some, some Indiana maybe. Is it Indiana? Hey, back home again. Okay, I'm stop singing. But I have been tempted. I have a bunch of redbirds at my house. And they, they, they multiply and uh, we feed them, and they multiply. But a red bird likes to look at himself. And they tell me, I have not asked one personally, but they tell me birds see color. A lot of animals do not see color. They live in a black and white world. And I take that from highly reliable veterinarians. But birds see color, and when a red bird sees himself, he goes, whoa, whoa, I like that, I and so they get on my mirror on my truck, and they're constantly wanting to look at themselves, and they poop down the side of my truck. Big, long, white. As much as I like redbirds, I want to kill them all. I want to kill them all. Now, don't worry, I have not killed the first one, but trust me, I have meditated on it. But when they get, when they get that look, when they just one looks, all it took. And I tell you when they look at when they look at themselves, they won't say that. When you get when you get a real view of Jesus, there's nobody going to pull you off of that. They're not going to pull you. You've never seen anybody better, sweeter, kinder, more wonderful than Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. You may stray for a little while, but you're going to come back because what you saw in Jesus, you're not going to see anywhere else in anybody else. Faith is unaware of itself. Here's another thought I want to discuss with you. Faith is unaware of itself. Tozer says it this way, faith like the eye is unaware of its own presence. How many of you looking at me have thought about your eyes? Well, some of them are shut, so I never had. How, how many of you, I noticed my, my, my granddaughter did not sit up front again tonight. I wonder why. But uh, I... I uh, I mean, how many of, really, you're looking at me, right? You're looking through your eyes, right? But you didn't think about your eyes, amen? You didn't think about them. You don't think about them. It's one of them things you don't even think about. Don't put any, I mean, you get something in it, you do, right? If it gets blurry, you do. So faith is unaware of itself like you're unaware of your eye. You behold the world through it, yet unaware, really, of the function of your eye. I believe the retina is one of the most complicated Parts of your whole body, that's what I read. 
if anything could prove there's a God, I've read that the retina would do it. The fact that you have it, the, the function of the eye, the function of the retina is so unbelievably complex, and, and there had to be an intelligent creator to make it. It just didn't evolve. When you're looking at Jesus, you're unaware of yourself. We solve our problems by looking under Jesus, not by trying to solve our problems. Some of the problems that we have, we're not going to be able to solve them. Only God's going to be able to solve them. Amen? Psychology focus, you go to psychiatrists. Christians tell me sometimes they go to psychiatrists. God forbid you go to psychologists, psychiatrists. Um, I had a, a, a psychologist, a PhD psychologist, come in and counsel with me uh, 20 or so times. And she used to have a practice. She said, I didn't have anything to give anybody. I didn't have anything. The only way I could help them was I could blame their mom and dad for everything and blame other people for why they turned out, and that made them feel better. And they went and said, oh, boy, I really got a lot of help from you. She said, but the truth is I can't help anybody. The only helps with the Lord Jesus Christ. She got saved, by the way. And I gave her the book uh, Rebuilder's Guide, and she told me how she'd throw that book across the room, and she'd go pick it back up. She says, I hate this book, but I love this book. She hated it. it was telling her the truth, which contradicted a lot of what she knew to be true. The Bible will contradict you, but you know it's so. So we try to solve our problems not by trying to solve our problems. We try to solve our problems by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Psychology focuses on your problems and blaming others, trying to improve your self-image. It fails in both directions. Trying to improve your self-image means you're going to spend more time thinking about yourself, which is going to be you're going to get more distorted and more depressed. I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, I get depressed. I look at Jesus, I get encouraged. Anybody going to say amen on that? What about personal worth? What about your personal worth? I don't have any. Where do you get your personal worth? Jesus. He died for me. That makes me worth something to him. Amen? Otherwise, I don't have any personal worth. Uh, and that helps, by the way, as far as your ego goes. God forbid your natural man ego is going to send you to hell if you follow it. You don't want to follow your pride. That's the sin of the devil. That's not going to be in heaven. There's not going to be any pride in heaven. You know what's going to be beautiful about heaven? A bunch of humble folks. A bunch of, a bunch of humble folks that aren't lifting themselves up, and they're not, they're not going to be competitive with each other. I look better than you. I got more money than you. I got a better job than you. I got more intelligence than you. I, I, this, that, and the other thing. It's all this stuff. That's all going to be gone. Glory to God. I can't wait. It's a good thing. It's going to be a great, going to be a great place to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to focus, or we're not to focus on the faith, but the object of the faith. We're, we have a, a, a thing, a group of people called Pentecostals. Pentecostals, they focus on, on, oftentimes they get focusing on the gifts, but not on the giver of the gifts. You want to focus on the giver. You want to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, not your faith. I got real, I got strong faith. Quit, don't say that. Say, we got a great God. We got a wonderful God. We got a powerful God. All the gifts, don't, and, and I talked about the Pentecostal folks, of poor souls, I feel bad for them, because all they get caught up in is, is, this, is this gifts and what we've been, and, and Jesus is the giver of that, is what we're supposed to be talking about. 
If faith is from God, it will drive one to Jesus. Sin shifted our focus to ourselves, to our desires and our wants. Eve began to care more about herself and her personal lusts than she did God's will. Amen? Sin, when it's finished, what's it do? Verse, memory verse, brings forth death. Brings forth death. Total and complete separation from God is death. What is death? Total and complete separation from God. That's death. Because nothing and no one can live in the universe without God. And yet, what is hell? Hell is going to be being alive without God. The definition of hell is not the fire, though there'll be all of that. Everything Jesus said will be real. It's going to all be true. But the real hell of hell is going to be apart from being apart from God. For God's the center of all that is good. God is the center of all that is beautiful. God is the center of all that is worthy. God is the center of all that is attractive. And to be separated from that and relegated away from that is hell, the definition of agony of soul. The Bible says they'll not have rest nor day, neither day nor night. Why? Because he's life. He gave life and he maintains life. So look to him to have life. That's what a sinner does. He looked to him to have life. We we're dying. We've been bitten by the serpent. We need help. Jesus, we believe you're the way. We believe you're the answer. We believe you're the cure. A sinner doesn't have to know a lot of theology. They look unto Jesus. An unsaved person doesn't have to know a whole lot about the Bible. They just need to know that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, came to die for them, resurrected. They put their simple childlike faith on that, and God meets them, and they're saved. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whosoever, if I may say, looketh on him or believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Looking unto Jesus focuses us and keeps everything in our life straight. Um, I don't know if anybody ever plowed a field. Anybody ever plowed a field in here? Y'all plowed a field? John Deere guy, I know you. Amen, brother. Plow a field. Let's say you plowed a field. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's the longest distance that you had? You plowed from end to end? What do you think the longest distance was? Half a mile. Half a mile is a long way, right? Now, when you got on that tractor and you started plowing on the one end of this, did you did you pay attention to your steering wheel or your or your or your gauges, or did you look? Were you looking back at your plow to see if it was doing okay? I mean, you may have glanced at that, but ultimately, ultimately, where was your eyes? There was a point at the end of the field, wasn't it? I was talking to old. Uh, I was talking to old, uh, my neighbor, uh, Wayne Kelly, and he plowed quite a bit of field, quite a few fields. And his dad, he said, was radically critical that those, he wanted those furrows straight as an arrow. I mean, farmers have pride in their work, just like carpenters. And he wanted those furrows, I don't know if your dad was that, he wanted them furrows straight. He didn't want them furrows to go like this. And he said, he said uh, when I, uh, he put me on, you know, the, the farmers, they put their kids on those tractors at five, six, seven years old. I mean, they may grow up quick, buddy. And he's running his, he said he used to put blocks, I think, on his feet so he could reach the pedal and stuff like that. I mean, young people, 
give them young responsibility. So they were plowing. He said, man, I, he, I looked, I looked, I got done. I looked back here and that furrow went like drifted all over. He said, oh, my dad. And his dad went nuts on him. He said, that's crazy. You're going to have to do that all over again. I want them furrows straight. You know what, what happens to Christians when they get their eyes off Jesus? And you look back and go, oh, boy, I really messed that up. That's a mess. That's a mess. That's a mess. That's what backsliding is all about. It's looking back to the plow rather than looking to Jesus, the point where you're going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Take your eyes off of this old world and what it offers, and take your eyes off of it. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you get up every morning, you go to work and everything, but it's because Jesus saved you. He goes, I'm a child of God. I laid Carver for 17 years. Uh, Carver Land wasn't my focus. Jesus was my focus. Now, no, you know, you struggle, you learn, you fall, you get up, you fall, you get up. The righteous, Bible says the righteous falls seven times. Did you ever plow a crooked furrow? Oh, you did, didn't you? Did your dad make you redo it or just keep it the way it was? Just keep it? Yeah, he was a nice guy. He was a nice guy. His dad was a nice guy. I wouldn't let him go back and do it again. My dad, I'm not going to tell you about my dad. But anyway, uh, Hebrews, that's what Hebrews 12, 20, 12, 2 is talking about, looking under Jesus, the altar and finish of our feet. We need to stop worrying about the surrounding, immediate surroundings and stop paying so much attention to them and keep our eye. Why do you think this old preacher gets up here and tells you, read your Bible, keep your focus on God, uh, get with him, talk to him? Because if, if you don't keep your focus on him, your, your, your furrow is going to go like this, your life's going to go like this, it's going to be inconsistent, going to be double-minded. Listen, the Bible says in James 1, to a double-minded man, that's somebody that, that they're looking back, they're looking up, they're looking back, they're looking up. And he says, let them not think that they should receive anything from the Lord. Read it yourself. That's what it says. People say to me sometimes, God, don't answer my prayers. God, don't answer my prayers. It's one of my most asked questions. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Well, I just got to go to the book. Maybe, just maybe, you're not wholehearted. Just maybe, you're not, you're double-minded. Because I can tell you this, if you're double-minded, I know this, you're not going to get anything from God. God's not going to answer your prayers, not going to help you, because you're double-minded. He only helps those folks who put their hand to the plow, and they don't look back. They don't look back. That can be you. That can be me. Is it possible? It is possible. You can do that. Live your day focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, getting up with Him, going doing your business with Him, uh, eating lunch with Him, going in your afternoon with Him, and, and your evening with Him. And before you go to bed, you talk to Him. When you get up at night four or five times, you talk to Him. All night long. Live for Jesus. There was an illustration of 100 pianos that were tuned to the same tuning fork. A hundred pianos, all played in absolute perfect harmony together. Why? They got tuned to the same tuning fork. How do we have harmony as born-again believers? If we're in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have harmony because Vito, I don't have harmony with Vito because Vito's such a nice guy. I don't. I don't have harmony with Mike because Mike's such a wonderful man. I have harmony with Mike because he has harmony with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have harmony with Tom because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. I have harmony with Brother Zook because we love, the, we love the same person. That focus, hey, my marriage is so wonderful. 
It's going to be a long ride home, baby. <laughs> My marriage is so wonderful. My marriage is so wonderful. Anytime my marriage is wonderful, it's because our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because Kathy and I, you know, people come to me and say, how do you stay married 50 years? There is a secret. You got to keep your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Son of Man was lifted up, as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In other words, that's the key you want to remember. So what is faith? It's the gaze of the soul upon God, looking upon him who is the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, do it. Make it, make it a daily habit. And you know what? A lot of the problems that you may think you have, you don't have. A lot of the worries that you may think are going to hurt you never do hurt you, never do materialize. I read a statistic one time, 95% of any, what people worry about never happens. Never happens. And they spend all that time worrying about it. My, grand, my uh, mother-in-law stayed out in the province chamber, and I have alligators that come and go on my lake. And, and uh, the biggest one I ever had was about an eight-footer, but most of them are about four-footer. Four-foot alligator It's not a big animal. It's kind of skinny, doesn't weigh much. And my mother-in-law, she did weigh a lot. So she's about two, two and a quarter, 250. And um, big old girl. And she'd, she'd come there and she'd say, Billy? Billy? Let me see if I can get her voice right. Billy? Billy? That gator, I'm concerned that gator's going to come out of that lake and grab me and drag me into the lake. And remember, 95% of what you worry about never happens. I said, Granny, if that gator wanted to drag you in that lake, he could not do it. He weighs 40 pounds. I just think he's going to grab me and drag me in that lake. Now, if there was a 13-footer that weighed 1,000 pounds, I'd say, okay, now, very likely that gator wants to grab you and drag you into that lake, drown you, and eat you. But not that little four-footer, that three-footer. You don't have to worry about him. Isn't that the way we are, though? We worry about some of the dumbest stuff. Uh, people tell me, well, I don't want to uh, um, do this or do that because I may get bit by a spider. I may get bit by a snake. If you knew how much I have been in the palmettos in Florida and how much my wife, just the other day we were in the palmettos and there was undergrowth like this and we're walking in there. I got regular shoes on, no snake boots, and we're in there. You know, I just take... I take my machete and kind of just make sure, and then just work away. I can't even hear a rattlesnake anymore. And all these years, I've never been bitten by a rattlesnake. Not even, but one time was close, that was all. There's people that won't go near a palmetto because they're afraid of getting bitten by a rattlesnake. It's fiction. It's fiction. There's people that are afraid of spiders. What's the last person you knew died of a spider bite? I knew one. Well, he's an exception, not a rule. But we worry in this life about non-essential stuff, things that don't make, things that 95%, I'm going to die and starve to death. Well, God's going to take care of you. He's going to help you. Amen? Look unto Jesus. Keep your faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look away from yourself 
from the world, from sin, and he will help you all the way home. And when we get to the end of the furrow, it's heaven. Amen. God's got a whole new world for us to live in. Father, help us tonight. Anoint the time together, the few moments to explain these things. May you preach it with a blessed Holy Spirit where I could not. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.